Thank you for this time that you've brought us together to devote ourselves fully to your worship, to your word, and to fellowship with one another. And Father, we just pray that that this time would echo out into our weeks and that we would um, carry this time with us in everything we do and that we would be able to be your hands and feet and your instruments in the world around us. Father, I just ask that at this time um, you would make my words your own and... and, um, Allow me to to speak um, your gospel and your truth, and um, Father, I just pray that you be you be present in this moment and in this room, and uh, just keep us close to you in everything we do. Thank you again for the the opportunity to to be your hands and feet, and Father, we just pray for every opportunity to do that. And thank you for the sacrifice of your Son on the cross and the, the life that it gives us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. I'm going to tell you a pet peeve of mine, and I'm going to ask you not to take it personally. It's a good start. <laughs> um, I have this pet peeve, or any time anyone gets up on stage, whether it's a worship leader in a church setting, or you know maybe it's like a... a, a musician at a concert or something like that. And in, in the church context, it, what they do that bothers me, they'll get up and they'll say something like, good morning. And when they don't like the response that they get, they'll say, good morning again in this, in this tone. And it's usually the tone that bothers me, uh, not the thing itself, but the tone that, uh, you know, they, they weren't, that communicates that they were not happy with the initial response. And so they, they give you another chance to do it. And I'll explain why I don't like that. And I do not mean to disparage anyone here who does that. Um, I have done it before. <laughs> it's not speaking specifically to anyone because I don't think the thing itself, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's harmless. It, it works most of the time. Usually people will it'll give them a chance to kind of pep up. Um, but the problem I have with it is that it, it can tend to feel like the speaker is trying to impose a certain emotion on their audience. That they, they come in here and they have a certain expectation of how you are supposed to feel in this time. And if you don't feel that way or if you don't vocalize that you feel that way, they're going to make you feel that way. And obviously that's not uh, true when Steve does it, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's, that, that's always how it comes across to me. Um, is, is that there is this obligation to be excited and engaged and happy to be here and joyful. And we, we have this certain expectation. And we do this to ourselves just as often. We, we put this expectation on ourselves. We obligate ourselves to feel joy because we equate that with a healthy faith. We feel like if we are a good Christian, quote-unquote, we, we feel joy in all circumstances. And I understand and entirely empathize with that, um, you know, expectation of ourselves. Because we have all of these scriptures and commandments given to us to rejoice 
Rejoice in every circumstance. Rejoice in suffering. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice, as Philippians 4 said, as we read this morning. And there's, there's, there's just this command to feel joy at all times, and therefore if, what follows is that if we don't feel that joy, we must be doing something wrong. We must be failing in some way if at any moment as Christians we are not entirely joyful. Because he even speaks to those moments of suffering and pain and loss and say, rejoice in those moments. And that does not come easily. And we take that as a sign of our value as Christians, of our our devotion and commitment as Christians, is whether or not we feel joy. And I think that we have flipped sort of the script there a little bit. And we have taken joy to be the means to an end, when joy should be the end itself. Joy is the result of something. It it says it right there in Philippians 4, if you keep reading. If you got to verse 7 and stopped, then you would feel an obligation to feel joy at all times. Or at least to look like you feel joy at all times. Because you want to communicate, I am a strong Christian. I have a great faith. My relationship with God is my top priority. And so I'm going to look joyful in everything. But if you keep reading, you'll see that it's not simply a command to rejoice. So let's start there again and uh, keep going. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You stop right there, and it just told us to not be anxious. I don't know if you've ever dealt with anxiety on any level about anything. It is basically impossible to just stop being anxious because someone tells you to, especially if someone tells you to. (laughs) Hey, just don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. Put that aside is not something that that a person with any sort of actual anxiety is able to do easily. But if you keep reading, starting in verse 7, it says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So before we go any further, let's define our terms. Let's talk about what joy actually means. Because in the beginning, he says rejoice, have joy. That's what rejoice means. And then in the end, he talks about peace. And there's there's, there's... Equivalence there. Joy and peace are very tightly related to one another because joy goes beyond just happiness. Joy can certainly contain happiness and does contain happiness. But for example, this morning in our uh, Sunday morning class, we talked about the things that bring us joy. And, you know, everyone gave these really wonderful answers about different things in their lives, about nature, about family, about grandkids and kids and and being together with one another and worshiping and all these wonderful things that bring us joy. And there is is nothing that says that that is not joy. But no one said, and I wouldn't expect anyone to say, you know, what brings me joy is, is when I lose a loved one. 
What brings me joy is when I read the news every morning about some new terrible thing happening in the world. What brings me joy is a new medical diagnosis that I did not want. Even if that was true of you, it's not something you would want to bring up in class. It just kind of seems a little backwards, I think. But joy has a place in those moments that happiness does not. Joy contains happiness, but it also contains peace. The God of peace will be with you in these moments. And so joy, once we attain it, because it is something to be attained, it is a process, is free of circumstance. And so when we think about these moments when we're told to rejoice, I think a lot of the times our approach to doing that is finding the bright spot, finding the silver lining in those moments. Yes, I just received this terrible medical diagnosis, but at least I have my family around me. At least we've all come together as a result of this. Yes, I, you know, everything is, is terrible in the world today, but at least we have hope in our future. That's the one that, that I tend to overuse a little bit, is, is you know, there's, there, is, there is a future for us, there's hope. Regardless of our circumstances today, later on we'll all be together in heaven, and it'll be wonderful and we'll be free of all these things. And that's true. But that is not necessarily something you should say to someone in those moments. Because it could reassure them. But it also might not reassure them. They, they don't necessarily want to hear about what's going to happen after this life. Because in the moment, they just lost someone or something. Um, and there's, there's this unimaginable pain that our definition of joy does not always fit. And so the question becomes, how do we get from here to there? If we can define joy as something more than just happiness, and if we decide that we don't always have to be happy to be a good Christian, then how do we get from what we know as joy, which more, than, more often than not is happiness, to what's described in Philippians chapter 4. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. It's not a joy that I'm readily acquainted with. It's not something that I, I am that familiar with, to be honest. To be able to stand back in moments of <coughs> intense mourning and pain and feel peace and joy is likely one of the hardest things that we, we try to accomplish as Christians. And then feel like when we don't accomplish those things, we are that bad Christian. We have that weak faith. We don't have that relationship with God because we equate joy with being strong in our faith. And so Philippians 4 gives us sort of the answer to how we attain that. So it's not just a matter of, of trying as hard as you can to feel joy in those moments. And I think that's where that tendency to seek out the silver lining comes from. Is, you know, I, am, I know I am supposed to feel joy in this moment, and I'm not. So I'm going to do everything in my power to get there. I'm just going to find something and hold on to that one thing. 
The fact is, sometimes there's not a silver lining. Sometimes you get that medical diagnosis and there's no family around you. Sometimes there's, there's loss and pain and tragedy in the world and you don't know where that's going to end for some people. Sometimes our definition of joy is insufficient. But that's because we get to verse 7 in Philippians 4 and we stop. We read this commandment to rejoice, and we focus on that, and joy doesn't come. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there we have one, we've already been given one means to reach joy. And that is right here in verse, uh, I just read it, verse 7, sorry, verse 6. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So prayer is an excellent start. If you are feeling that anxiety, if you are not feeling the joy that you know you are called to feel, prayer, step one, without a doubt, is turning things over to God. At the same time, sometimes, when you're told by someone, you know, you, you approach someone that you trust and you say, I'm, just, I'm feeling very anxious about this, I'm feeling this weight about this situation or that situation, and their, their advice is to pray about it, good advice, but it sometimes can feel about as useful as just don't worry about it. Because our idea of prayer does not always extend that far. And so we keep reading. <coughs> Finally, brothers, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So he gives three different sort of commandments there. The first one is to pray. The second one is to focus on all these good things that he's listed, everything that is pure and noble and etc., etc. And the third is whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things. And they can all be boiled down to one simple commandment, and that commandment is one of obedience. It, it, I don't want to oversimplify things, and I run the risk of doing that. But the key to joy is obedience. It's very, very simple. He says, what have you whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And that, that, that list is quite large. Paul has written many letters. Jesus gave us many commandments and lessons and teachings. And the call to obey all of those things uh, can seem overwhelming. But if we're to experience joy, then we are called to obedience. And I think there's, there's a, uh, one way to more easily sum that up than everything that you have learned and received and heard and seen. And that's Romans chapter 13, uh, which is actually kind of a 
relevant scripture in the last couple days, if you're familiar with that. But in Romans 13, um, it starts in verse 1 talking about um, submission to the authorities. Um, And that scripture has been used for a very long time for very many different purposes, um, whether rightly or wrongly. But starting in verse 10, uh, actually let's start in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In order to feel joy, this thing that that we equate with the quality and the strength of our faith, the thing that we are called and commanded to, even in moments where it doesn't make any sense, which is why it's called the peace that passes understanding. We are given the commandment to obey. Practice these things. Everything you have heard and seen and received from me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. And the law, the commandments that we are given, are fulfilled in this one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I think we have um, a tendency to overcomplicate things. I think any preacher runs the risk of doing that for the sake of having enough content to fill a sermon on Sunday morning. People do that at Sunday morning Bible classes because we always need something to discuss. And it's so easy to lose sight of one for the sake of the other. But the command is about as simple as it gets. If you want to experience the joy that you are commanded to feel, think about that for a minute. Think about being commanded to feel a certain way. That always struck me as so unfair. What if I don't feel that way? We're given a path to it. The path is to obey what we have been commanded. And what we have been commanded is to love one another. So what is the result of that? What is, what's, what's the end result of joy? If we receive joy because we have obeyed, because we have loved one another, what does that result in? If I have a bad day, and by a bad day I mean I missed breakfast, <laughs> uh, I feel... Like, it's my right and my entitlement to let everybody know that I'm having a bad day. Whether it's just straight up saying, I'm having a bad day. Or through my actions, or through, you know, being, being really terse with people and short with other people. Um, or if it's, you know, just my attitude about things, or, or low energy, or any one of these things. I am entitled to a bad day, because I'm suffering. 
I'm, I'm feeling pain right now because I'm hungry. There's no room for joy in a life like that. And if I'm called to feel joy and I fail in those moments, consider Jesus on the cross. Consider the day that he spent leading up to that. Do you think he might have had the chance to be in a bad mood? Do you ever think about Jesus' mood? Jesus had every chance in the world to be in a bad mood because there were so many times, even before the crucifixion, that he was treated unfairly, that he was forced into situations that he didn't want, even by people that, that he supposed, were supposedly on his side. It is easy to believe that Jesus had opportunities for bad moods pretty much constantly. But instead, he exhibited that joy, that peace. He took moments when those who supported him pressured him into something maybe he didn't want to do, and he used them to teach. He used them to to show his power in miracles. And ultimately, he used those moments to sacrifice himself for us. And if I can't get to 10 a.m. without breakfast, without everyone knowing it, I can't imagine that would be my response to the sort of torture and pain that he experienced. And so the answer to what is the end result of joy is the ability to withstand anything, any circumstance. It's not a guarantee of happiness. It's not even a guarantee of an absence of sadness. We're not guaranteed that until heaven when every tear is dry. But it is a guarantee of a response to sadness. We are given an opportunity to feel peace, to know joy in moments where that's unimaginable. And with that comes it, it, it comes a stronger faith. It comes the ability to not only lift that expectation off of yourself, I don't have to walk into church forcing myself to be happy because this is what I'm supposed to look like on Sunday mornings. But it also lifts that expectation off of everyone else you encounter. You no longer expect that from other people. And suddenly we understand what it means to open the arms of the church and welcome in anyone. We're able to worship and interact and reach out to others because we don't have any expectations of them. And so often those are the things that keep us from reaching out to those most in need because we have expectations of how people are supposed to behave or look or feel or act. And we're, when we're able to lift those expectations off of ourselves, we're able to live freely of those anxieties and cares. We just got done with this Sunday morning class on the disciplines. And those fall pretty squarely in the category of everything that you have seen and heard and received and learned from me. Practice those things. We're called to practice those things. And the end result of those is joy. Something Stacy mentioned this morning in class. That we receive joy as a result of practicing our faith. Which was summed up in those disciplines in that class. It's the idea of practicing our faith on a daily basis.
We've learned love in Romans 13. We've learned sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The thing we have most, the thing that we have learned most is our salvation. We have learned that when Jesus died on the cross, he spent three days buried. He was raised again on the third day. And as a result of that perfect sacrifice and his overcoming of death, we have an eternal life. That's something you know. That's something that is an asset to you, a knowledge that you have. When you practice that, and when you give that to other people, that becomes a pathway to that joy that we feel so often we owe each other. It's not a sign of a strong faith to walk into church on Sunday morning with a painted on smile and act like everything is okay. A sign of a strong faith is reaching towards that joy in fellowship with one another. Whether or not you have it, striving towards it together. And being honest when you say that I'm not there yet. Being honest and open about that fact is the only way you'll ever reach that joy. If you convince yourself that that you're happy right now because you're in church, there's nothing to strive for. And I think sometimes church is, for a lot of people, the only time you feel joy during the week. You feel this happiness and this fullness of being together with one another and worshiping, and it's hard not to feel that. It's hard not to feel buoyed and encouraged by being around fellow believers. But then you take that joy, and you cup it in your hands, and you carry it throughout the week, and try not to spill any, and try not to let any fall through your fingers, just hoping that it lasts you until the next time you are with the believers again in church. And that is not joy either. Joy comes in every circumstance, the good and the bad. It is, it is entirely divorced from any of that. And you're able to feel the same peace in, in circumstances of, of great happiness as you are in times of great sadness and brokenness. And it stops being a sign of good faith that you are joyful and more a sign of good faith that you are open and honest about reaching towards joy and not having it necessarily at the moment but being willing to strive after it and being willing to help others along to find it as well that is our call to one another joy becomes not the absence of sadness but a response to it as a result of that obedience it eliminates the expectation for a smiling face, for ourselves, for others, gives us a chance to welcome people in. We don't have to force it. We don't have to expect it. We simply, simply strive for it together. And the best thing about joy is that it begets joy. And when you feel joy, that radiates out. When you are able to experience that peace, you are able to grant it to one another. And so my prayer this morning as we leave this place, is that you will feel the peace that passes understanding and that the God of peace will be with you.